turned myself to consider wisdom, madness, and folly. For what can the king's successor do? Just that which has been done long ago. Then I saw that wisdom excels folly, as far as light excels darkness. The wise man's eyes are in his head, and the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceived that one event happens to all. Then I said to my heart, As it happens to the fool, so will even happen to me. And why was I then more wise? Then I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise man, even as of the fool, there is no memory forever, since in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. Indeed, the wise man must die just like the fool. So I hated life, because the work that is worked under the sun was grievous to me. For all is vanity and a chasing after wind. I hated all my labor in which I labored under the sun, because I must leave it to the man who comes after me. Who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool? Yet he will have rule over all of my labor in which I have labored, and in which I have shown myself wise under the sun. This also is vanity. Therefore I began to cause my heart to despair concerning all the labor in which I had labored under the sun. For there is a man whose labor is with wisdom, with knowledge, and with skillfulness. Yet he shall leave it for his portion to a man who has not labored for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. For what has a man of all his labor, and of the striving of his heart in which he labors under the sun? For all his days are sorrows, and his travail is grief. Yes, even in the night his heart takes no rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink and make his soul enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw, that it is from the hand of God. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment more than I? For to the man who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy. But to the sinner he gives travail, to gather and to heap up that he may give to him who pleases God. This also is vanity and a chasing after wind. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 12 through 26. Welcome back to From Hevel to Eternity, my Bible study podcast aimed at shifting our gaze from worldly perspectives to God. We do this through the study of God's Word, the Bible. I'm Brian, and we're working through a concurrent study of the books of Ecclesiastes and Philippians. Today is episode number 10 already in this series, where we're talking about our identities and what we look to for joy. These two books do a great job of pointing out the folly of finding identity in worldly things. The author of Ecclesiastes calls this vanity, or in Hebrew, hevel. He also points out that the only identity that doesn't end up being hevel is one founded in God. A fear of the Lord, a willing submission to God the Father, and a faith in God the Son that aims to glorify God and produce lasting joy. The last half of Ecclesiastes chapter 2 is our focus in this episode. It's a long wordy section, so hopefully you hung in there through the intro. It offers a little bit of a recap of the first chapter and a half. It's discussing the vanity of searching out wisdom and work and possessions as the source of our joy. But it also opens up some new doors. And there's benefit to applying wisdom to our life, it says. But that both the wise man and the fool will die in this life. 
And if you've spent your life accumulating stuff or wealth, someone who didn't work for it will eventually get it and either not appreciate it as much as you do, or he'll squander it completely. So you can work every minute of every day trying to accumulate more material gains, never to enjoy it. Or you can find joy and contentment in what God provides for you. After all, enjoying the fruits of our labor is a gift from God, this passage says. So I pray that God will use this episode to help all of us see the value in rest, contentment, and enjoying life. But that it will also reveal to us the benefit of living that life filled with godly wisdom. I turned myself to consider wisdom, madness, and folly. For what can the king's successor do? Just that which has been done long ago. Then I saw that wisdom excels folly, as far as light excels darkness. The wise man's eyes are in his head, and the fool walks in darkness. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, 12 through the first part of verse 14. So this passage starts with King Solomon considering wisdom, madness, and folly, or wisdom, insanity, and folly, depending on your translation. And remember that this is the same King Solomon who prayed for and was granted wisdom from God. So when he says he's considered wisdom, he's considered it extensively. And where do all of these meditations and observations lead him? Well, he deduces that wisdom is in fact better than folly, that living wisely is a better bet than playing the fool. This is the same idea that's found throughout the book of Proverbs. So Proverbs 2, 6 says, For Yahweh gives wisdom, out of his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Proverbs sixteen sixteen says, How much better it is to get wisdom than gold. Yes, to get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. And Proverbs nineteen eight says, He who gets wisdoms loves his own soul. He who keeps understanding shall find good. But it's also found in the letters of Paul. Ephesians 5:15-17, for instance, state, Therefore watch carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So the idea behind all of these, and what Solomon will go on to point out, is that living wisely is more likely to yield superior results long-term than playing the fool in this life. But these verses are not guarantees of specific results. Life is not a formula where you plug in the right variables and solve for success. And living wisely does not give you immortality or anything, as Solomon will go on to point out in the next few verses. But, in addition to showing our love for Christ to the world, Living by godly wisdom has better potential for good things to turn out well in this life than the alternative. Solomon goes on to compare the difference between wise and foolish living to light and darkness. And this makes sense to us, as Christians were called to be a light in the midst of darkness, to be a light on a hill reflecting Jesus, the light of the world. Wisdom helps instruct us how to walk the path of light. And yet I perceived that one event happens to them all. Then I said in my heart, as it happens to the fool, so will it happen even to me. And why was I then more wise? Then I said in my heart that this also is vanity. 
For of the wise man, even as of the fool, there is no memory forever, since in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. Indeed, the wise man must die just like the fool. So I hated life, because the work that is worked under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a chasing after the wind. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, the end of verse 14 to verse 17. So in just when you think Solomon has turned a corner toward positive and upbeat, we get another U-turn, right? Like, wisdom might be better than folly, that even the wise man will one day be forgotten, and both the wise man and the fool, they'll die eventually. Like, he's Mr. Happy Thoughts, as he concludes, So I hated life, because the work that is worked under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a chasing after the wind. Remember that he's not saying that life should be hated and that we should give up. No, remember he's talking from the perspective of a guy who is seeking to find his identity and his joy in worldly things. And he's concluding that living life like this will cause you to hate it. Philip Ryken notes that we are born with a deep longing to have something, to make something, or to do something that will last. Yet the under-the-sun reality is that we spend our whole lives working to gain something we can never keep. I mean, if you or I try to use wisdom to live forever, whether physically never dying or by becoming famous enough to be remembered by humanity for all of eternity, then we're just never going to get there, right? Like, it's going to feel like vanity and a chasing after the wind because we're never going to be able to firmly grab hold of that rope. Living a wise life centered on God and living a life seeking wisdom for worldly gain, they're two completely different things with two completely different results. We are called to live wisely for Christ. I hated all my labor in which I labored under the sun because I must leave it to the man who comes after me. Who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool, yet he will have rule over all of my labor in which I have labored, and in which I have shown myself wise under the sun. This also is vanity. Therefore I began to cause my heart to despair concerning all the labor in which I had labored under the sun. For there is a man whose labor is with wisdom, with knowledge, and with skillfulness. Yet he shall leave it for his portion to a man who has not labored for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. For what has a man of all his labor and of the striving of his heart in which he labors under the sun? For all his days are sorrows and his travail is grief. Yes, even in the night his heart takes no rest. This also is vanity. Ecclesiastes 2, 18-23 So we already saw in chapter 1 that when your focus is primarily on advancing in your work, or in your career that you are never going to find fulfillment because there's always some way you could achieve more. And at the start of chapter 2, we saw that when your primary focus is on accumulating possessions and attaining pleasures, you won't feel satisfied with only what you have. And Solomon is saying this from a perspective of being king with all of the wealth imaginable and spending it in every way he could think to provide him joy. Here he's underlining those truths, but he's also adding that if you work all the time, you won't be able to enjoy the results of your fruits anyway. We struggle with this too often. Too often we equate our work or our vocation with our purpose. It's probably why what do you do for a living is the most frequently asked icebreaker question among adults. 
I'd argue that if it is the most asked question and the most answered question, then it's probably rooted in us as a culture, making our career too much of who we are, too much of our identity. Solomon says that's not going to provide you with joy or comfort, just more sorrow and grief. Then Solomon goes on to mention that if your identity is in your wealth and your possessions, then you will only have a finite amount of time on this earth to actually enjoy them, and whatever is left is just going to get passed on to the next guy. And by the way, Solomon was spot on about this, because when he says, who knows if the next guy will be a wise man or a fool, the next king, the next one in the line, was definitely one who fell under the fool category. And right after Solomon dies, the next guy comes to power and the kingdom of Israel gets split in two because of foolish leadership. So, personal story. We're doing some renovating on our house, and I have to clean out my garage for it to happen. I will tell you that you can think that you don't have a possession problem all you want until you have to clean out years of storage boxes. I mean, I forgot I had half the stuff. And some of the stuff that I think, well, I can store it and keep it to pass on to my kids, sure. But most of it, they won't enjoy as much as I did. Or it won't have the same sentimental value for them. I mean, there are some things worth saving and some things worth passing on. But the harsh under-the-sun reality is that most of those stored-up belongings, they're going to stay in boxes until someone someday just tosses them in a dump or drops them off at a donation box. Solomon would probably say that that stack of long-forgotten boxes in my garage that you've accumulated, it's hevel. It's meaningless if you work to store them up and you don't get to use them. It's vanity if you store them up just to increase your perceived prominence also, like something you want to just have so you can tell people you have or show the next person in line that you have. And if you're thinking, yeah, but Solomon is just so negative, such a pessimist. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. Don't lay up treasures for yourself on the earth, where moth and rust consume, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust consume, and where thieves don't break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if you want to be stuck in the same conviction that I've been stuck in all week, Walk out to your garage or your basement or your shed. Look around at all the stuff that's surrounding you that you haven't taken out of a box in years. And read Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21 out loud. So both Jesus and Solomon, they're talking about identity. What are you working towards doing? Accumulating stuff or glorifying God? That's a question that I've been faced with during my renovation cleanout, and it's a question that we all need to ask ourselves. There is nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink and make his soul enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw, that it is from the hand of God. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment more than I? Ecclesiastes 2, 24 and 25. So Martin Luther calls these verses the point of the entire book, helping to explain everything else in the book of Ecclesiastes. I don't know that I'd go that far, but they definitely ex have extreme value in understanding the rest of the text. They underline that life is, in fact, not meaningless in and of itself. These verses also underline that God intends things to be enjoyed by his creation. Ryrie notes that Solomon's solution to the paradoxes of life is to enjoy to the fullest the life that God has given, 
recognizing it as his gift. God has not revealed the solution to all of life's inconsistencies, but has given man a life to enjoy while living in obedience to him. So I know some guys, and definitely used to be one of those guys, who questioned everything. Like not in a healthy way, but in an attempt to tear everything down sort of way. People who want to use wisdom to try and solve every mystery of life. Here's the kicker though, and maybe this will help us understand why wisdom as an identity can never bring joy. You can never find peace if you can never be content. We should invest in science and research, and we should ask healthy questions, but there are going to be things in this life that we will not fully understand. What I found when I used to be one of those people that refused to be okay with not knowing was that I was never content in any situations. I was always chasing after the wind. I was never able to rejoice over my circumstances because I was always trying to identify the why behind my circumstances. It was exhausting. It was an idol that stole any chance that I had at true joy, and to be honest, it extinguished any chance that I had at being a light to others. So seek wisdom, live wisely, but also enjoy the gifts that God has provided us with. For to the man who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy. But to the sinner he gives travail, to gather and to heap up, that he may give to him who pleases God. This also is vanity and a chasing after wind. Ecclesiastes 2 verse 26. We'll end with this passage by turning the focus back to God and his prerogative, his sovereignty, his gifting, and his judgment. It's outlining the potential path of the wise, the obedient, and the faithful, contrasted against the way of the fool. This whole section goes back to a big theme of the book. Enjoy the life that you've been given, but do it in a way where you fear the Lord. Or to put in a less churchy word way, enjoy life by trying to stay within the healthy boundaries that God has provided for us. Try to live a life of obedience to God's commands a life marinated in God's word, and a life with God's Son as its foundation. This is what Solomon wants us to pull from reading the book. Not that life is meaningless when you focus on the world, but that life is only actually enjoyable and fruitful if it's centered around God. Adeyemo states, although we may produce and accumulate the things that we think will give us happiness, the ability to actually enjoy them is not with our own power. It comes from God. Barak summarizes Solomon's conclusion as three basic principles. Man is not good. God is the giver. And there is no enjoyment in life apart from God. So it's about identity, right? Like the whole theme of this miniseries. It's why Paul, with almost nothing to his name except a prison sentence, can write in the book of Philippians about his contentment, his hopefulness, his joy. Not in the things of this world, but in the things that God is doing and working in and being glorified by. That's where we need to try to end up. That's where we need to meditate on. Can we find contentment and hope and joy and peace? Not in the things of this world, but in the things that God is doing, the things that God is working in, and the things that God is being glorified by. Thanks for listening. All Bible verses are from the World English Bible Translation, which is in the public domain. 
Next episode, we'll be back covering the book of Philippians, but we will actually be in the book of Acts, chapter 16. That chapter describes Paul's initial ministry activities in the city of Philippi. We will get introduced to some of the members of the church body that Paul might be writing affectionately to. Until next time, though, I love y'all.